Welcome to Euractiv Tech Brief podcast. My name is Theophan Hartmann, your technology reporter. This week we look at the Commission's submarine cable recommendation. For an overview on all things technology in the EU, sign up to our free newsletter or visit the website euractiv.com. This is Euractiv Tech Brief podcast. This episode is powered by Google. Google's new AI cyber defense initiative harnesses the power of AI to transform online security by providing skills, tooling, and infrastructure. Read more at safety.google. In September 2022, gas pipelines Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 were sabotaged in the Baltic Sea, which made the security of submarine infrastructure jump on top of the agenda. In October 2023, the Baltic Connector Pipeline between Finland and Estonia was sabotaged as well, while a submarine cable was damaged at the same time. Following these, the security of submarine cables became a hot topic and member states in the EU asked the Commission to submit a submarine cable recommendation looking at security and resilience topic. This recommendation is non-binding and has been published by the Commission on Wednesday, 21 February. So in order to talk about this topic, we have been joined by Louis Aubry, who is a public affairs officer at Europa Cable, the industry association of Europe's wire and cable producer. Thank you for being with us today, Louis. Thank you for the invitation. For us, who are not submarine cable experts, um, could you maybe set the scene? What should we have in mind when we think about the security and resilience of submarine cables? Yes, thank you very much uh, for the introductions uh, and, and all the questions. I mean, security and resilience is, uh, is quite broad and, and diffuse concept, so it, it would be difficult to, to define quickly. But I think to increase resilience and security in Europe, the first uh, answer should be have a common strategy and develop at the same time European autonomy in the industry and the infrastructure. So what should we have in mind when talking about, uh, about this topic of uh, submarine telecom cables? It's It's a long supply chain, so a lot of, of different suppliers of different technologies um, that we do have in Europe. We have the technology know-how in Europe. We need a strong European industry and we need a manufacturing capacity. So it's very broad um, capabilities. And I guess we will uh, go more in details on each of them uh, during the, the discussion. So why is it critical? Because um, in the world, 99% of the traffic over into for internet is, is going through submarine cables. There are approximately 500 cables in, in the world, and, and these are the critical backbone uh, for telecommunication in, in the world. Uh, what are the different companies, uh, buildings, and rolling out these cables? And there are mainly four big suppliers. Uh, so in Europe, we have Alcatel Submarine Networks, um, owned by Nokia. Uh, which represent around uh, 30% of, uh, of the market. In the US as well, 30% approximately with, uh, with Subcom. We have the Japanese uh, NEC, uh, also around 30%. And a Chinese uh, manufacturer, a bit smaller, around 10%, 10%. And so these are the four main players we, we account for on, on this market. Obviously, we have smaller, smaller suppliers uh, also in Europe with Nexans or Prismian, Exatronic which are also supplying some, some cables uh, for data uh, connectivity. 
but on a much smaller scale. Also, when talking about cables, what infrastructures are we talking about? So it's a whole ecosystem, as I was saying. And I think the recommendation of the of the commission you mentioned is is accounting for this broad definition of what is a cable submarine infrastructure for for the data transfer, starting from the construction of, of cables, of the planning of the routes, uh, the operation, the maintenance, the repairing, also accounting for landing stations of cables because this is also a critical part of cables of landing on the on the shore and that's where also we we can see some vulnerabilities so there is also a terrestrial part of the cable connecting into data centers or to, or to the main network and so this um, whole ecosystem has to work together to account for what we would call in general submarine uh, telecommunication cables or infrastructure and um, just just to be precise the damages in the sabotage we, we're talking about on uh, happened on the cable themselves at the bottom of the sea uh, but uh, indeed, this recommendation goes far behind just the security of cables in the sea, but also of uh, landing stations, uh, data centers. Uh, so it's uh, all a very encompassing recommendation. But if we dive into the commission uh, recommendation itself, well, one cannot help but noticing that actually security is not an EU competence. It's a competence of the member states. Um, so Louis, what, what did the commission suggest? Yes, indeed. So that's also why this uh, recommendation is non-binding, and that's why for the Commission it's difficult to to step in on this on this topic because it's mostly member states who have to to implement security measures and cybersecurity measures. So mostly this recommendation is around uh, sharing information, uh, good practices uh, between member states, coordinating stress testing or this type of activities. So it's much more of a coordination and information sharing recommendation than actual uh, new security measures. We also have to keep in mind that, at least on the cybersecurity side, we have also the NICE regulation with also the NICE group that uh, is active at European level, that is, uh, that is legislative and that is binding. So for cybersecurity, we also have already measures in place, which actually are being revised uh, at the moment and should uh, take uh, take place in, in October uh, this year. So that's why I think the Commission uh, decided to leave a bit out the cybersecurity aspects of this recommendation because it, they are already uh, tackled elsewhere. So as I was saying, yeah, this recommendation is mostly focusing on creating an expert group uh, between member states with the task of mapping out um, existing infrastructures, uh, but also vulnerabilities, where could be the risk uh, for cables. They also want to coordinate stress tests between member states to assess, uh, once again, in live conditions, what could be the, the vulnerabilities. There are also some some mentions of permitting procedures, uh, streamlining those, because at the moment, indeed, we don't have EU-wide procedures. It's member states by member states. And that's, that's why also it can be sometimes a bit more long to do repairs or maintenance because of this uh, uneven permitting procedures. And then uh, I think they tackle a bit more the business side of this um, issue where they, they talk about phasing out high-risk vendors. Um, and I think especially having in mind Chinese ones to avoid uh, security both on the infrastructure but also on the cyber side of, uh, of the cables or the landing stations. They mention also the fleet, which needs to be available for both the installations and uh, for repair and maintenance because we, we could also compromise some infrastructure with uh, high-risk vendors uh, serv servicing on uh, maintenance and repair. 
So these are for us uh, good vision and recommendations. Uh, obviously, non-binding as you as you mentioned, and this is understandable having in mind the the, the topic and uh, the fact that it's mostly member states with competencies. But we would welcome something uh, more binding for for the future. And I think that's what the recommendation hints that the next commission would probably go further in the security and resilience of submarine cables. Yes, indeed, the commission wrote that this recommendation could aim to serve as a precursor for a potential joint union government system. Um, maybe indeed to wrap it up, so nationally the countries will have to, to map their current infrastructure when it comes to submarine cables, conduct risk assessment, vulnerability assessment also, stress tests. They might have to fast track the permit granting process. And then the EU suggests to create this, this expert group that will review the national assessment, identify gaps, also help facilitate the work between member states. Uh, but if we focus on this expert group that you mentioned, um, do you have suggestions about who should sit in this group? What background should the, the experts sitting in this group uh, have? Um, it's, it's a very difficult question because as I was saying, it's different uh, competencies that would need to come together to, to account for the whole supply chain. So if I'm not mistaken, the expert group will be composed of member states experts only and will advise the commission. However, the recommendation uh, seeks to include all stakeholders uh, when relevant to have the wider input possible. And so indeed, we, we think that expertise from manufacturers, for example, for, uh, like ourselves, or even operators, um, defense ministries, or marine surveillance authorities, cyber agencies, all these type of competencies will need to come together to, to be able to assess all these uh, stress tests and mapping uh, coming from member states. So it's difficult to have one profile and, and it should be very wide uh, competencies, I think. Indeed. And as, as you said before, um, this recommendation doesn't doesn't lay too much emphasis on cybersecurity issues, uh, especially of landing stations or, or, or data centers, because these are the most vulnerable uh, assets. It's generally where the wiretapping occurs. And, and all this is actually foreseen in, in other acts of the commission, especially the, the NIS2 uh, directive, which will be implemented quite soon. Um, so this is what you were saying. This recommendation doesn't doesn't really um, put the emphasis on cybersecurity. But do you believe that there should be cybersecurity experts in this expert group? It's of the utmost importance because cybersecurity is probably the the, the most critical vulnerability these days. And um, without proper cybersecurity measures, you can have the best physical protection of cables and cable infrastructure. You you won't have any security of your of your data. It's it's something that uh, we became very famous with Edward Snowden revelations, for example, that um, the landing stations, if compromised, uh, are very powerful tools for spying or exfiltrating data um, from submarine cables. So we think that cables themselves should be protected indeed, but that the cybersecurity aspect shouldn't be uh, overlooked. And that's where we think um, we should involve, uh, yes, operators, as I was saying, or cyber security agencies, because these would be the people who have uh, the competencies to, to evaluate and uh, the required uh, security levels or the, the, 
the toolbox that the, the commission recommends uh, could be a way for 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 having a, a harmonized approach to to these lending stations which is lacking today that's that's one of the issues we don't have harmonized requirements at european level and it's left to member states and operators to assess what they should do talking about this this toolbox that you just mentioned um, so this connectivity toolbox looks actually very similar to the EU 5G connectivity toolbox that allows, well, of course, is also non-binding, but it all allows member states to restrict or exclude specific so-called high-risk vendors that are the Chinese companies Huawei and ZTE from their network infrastructure, especially uh, 5G masts. So the commission here is trying to considering restricting or excluding a Huawei submarine cable subsidiary from uh, the network infrastructure as well. Yet, of course, this will come at a cost. So what is, in your view, this trade-off between risks and investment? Do you think the EU could think about the financial instruments to put in place to, to tackle this issue? Yeah, it's, a, it's a very good question. Indeed, uh, this toolbox uh, is, is quite similar to the 5G connectivity toolbox that uh, was created by the Commission some years ago. Um, first, we don't have a big uh, footprint of Hengtong uh, Marine Network, so Huawei uh, in the EU. There is a, a one major cable coming from Marseille to Pakistan, and that is going through the Mediterranean to a few member states. But in general, the EU cables are still produced by uh, and, and installed by uh, European suppliers and sometimes also American suppliers. But so it would not come at a high cost to uh, phase out high-risk vendors like uh, Huawei, for example. And then, as you said, the question is a trade-off. Is in, for example, in the defense industry, would you consider buying uh, Chinese weapons to to equip Europeans? Um, I'm not sure. And here, if we consider this as critical infrastructure, do we want to rely on on high-risk countries to to supply those? If not, then we have to come up with solutions to. Once again, that's what I started with, is to have a strategy, a common strategy, how to build European autonomy. That's for, for, for me the, the main question here today is, if Europe wants to have a clear strategy to be autonomous, then we have to invest, we have to support European suppliers or trusted suppliers to be able to, to have a European infrastructure. And there was a, a report, I think, uh, September last year from the from the parliament mentioning that some cables managed by, by Chinese uh, suppliers close by uh, NATO or EU military bases and could be used for wiretapping of, of boats coming in and out of, of these bases, for example. So this is a very, very high risk that has been identified at European level, for example. And if we want to avoid these, we should have financial uh, means to, to develop a European infrastructure. Obviously, this is a recommendation, so there is no new budget dedicated to, to this recommendation, um, except maybe the, the fact that they mention the possibility to, to combine different funding opportunities like the, the Safe Digital Program and on the long term to reform it, to increase its capacity. But at the moment, that's Definitely, what's lacking uh, at European level—it's it's clear political message that uh, money is on the table to to develop a wide European infrastructure owned by Europeans and trusted uh, on security levels. And while talking about financing and European infrastructure, I can help but think about uh, big tech, US big tech companies that are increasingly deploying their own submarine cables across continents. Uh, not only do they 
manage them, but they also own them. So is there something to learn from them in terms of security and resilience? Yes, indeed, you're right. These companies are, have become, in, in the last decades, the, the main players, actually, on, on, the, on the market of submarine telecommunication cables. I think the new projects, uh, new cable projects, uh, usually 70% of them approximately have, have GAFAMs in them. Um, and I think uh, around 15 billion investment is planned from the GAFAM for new cable infrastructure, uh, submarine cable infrastructure in the world. So that's, as I was saying, it's it's big values, and that's that shows that if we want to have a secure infrastructure, or if we want to have an infrastructure, we need to invest because that's that's expensive but critical for the economy and 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 the Europeans. So indeed, uh, they are a big part of this market, and I think what we should learn from them is that they identified a threat because these big techs are highly dependent on communication networks and data centers, for example, and rely on the fact of being able to transfer data across the globe very, very quickly and uh, inexpensively uh, as well. So they identified the threat of not being able to supply this this capacity of, of communication networks, and they acted on it. They quickly decided to invest a lot on cables and and to own them or share them sometimes to to be sure to be resilient uh, in the long term because their whole business model depends on on that sorry they actually identified the threat that that we have been identifying for for only a year now yes indeed and that's that's maybe where uh, they, they 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 were smartest to in advance identify threats and and act on them and now that we are aware at European level that this could also be a threat for for consumers and, and for Europeans in general or even member states because the member states also rely a lot on on these cables, we should also think of a strategy and that's where big techs were were quick and, and efficient into investing and they have the financial capacity to do so. So that's also easy for them to to be quicker in in deploying projects. But I think we should learn from from how they they. They quickly get in, got involved in the, into the market with many cables, sometimes even redundant cables, to ensure that if a cable is cut, they are able to use a different one or a different route to supply the same connectivity. Yes, and indeed. Also... I think this is the big difference between a gas pipeline and a submarine cable, right? Because indeed. connectivity can be rerouted. It can be if you have the sufficient uh, capacity on, on cables because... For example, uh, if we want to phase out Chinese cables, we won't be able to to reroute through uh, Chinese supplied uh, cables, and that's the what is is being called uh, the the new Cold War in the Pacific. It's it's the fact that Chinese Chinese uh, suppliers and, and American suppliers don't work together anymore, and they have to develop parallel networks to not have to rely on each other uh, in the area. And it's the same for Europe. If we don't want to rely on the cables supplied by Google, uh, Meta. And others, we have to deploy an uh, infrastructure we can we can use uh, for our own purposes, and both between member states. That's also what we suggest to have a, a European cable uh, going around from Finland to to Cyprus, but also to to trusted and to and to global partners because that's what the Commission has with the unit on, on global gateways. It's trying also to connect to 
all the partners around the globe because at the moment we have very uneven connectivity to to all countries around the world we have several cables or a dozen of cables going to the us while only one to south america for example yes absolutely so let's say we have a funding what's in your view should we should we support first should we start by enhancing cyber security of base stations because they are the most vulnerable or shall it be increasing surveillance of the current infrastructure with with boats patrolling in the sea or should we have increased maintenance capacities in case of uh, damaged cables or should it be what you just said installing way more submarine cables so that we can reroute traffic whenever one cable is damaged it's a, it's a good question and i think as i was introducing at, at the beginning it's a, it's a whole ecosystem mm. so we have to invest in all the, the different parts of this ecosystem if we want to have a resilience i think that's two, that's the two words that go together here is resilience and ecosystem is if one part of your ecosystem is is weaker then you have a vulnerability and you're exposed if you have a very well protected cables sending stations but then you leave the repair to uh, unreliable vendors then all these efforts would have been for nothing so I, I wouldn't want to pick one or the other i think all of them have to be accounted for all the risks uh, have to be addressed so it's it starts from yeah landing landing stations cyber security measures uh, diver diversification of routes and redundancy of cables to be able to reroute or to uh, yeah, redirect capacity when when needed if if there is a cut monitoring and surveillance is is a good thing as well um you mentioned it we didn't tackle that too much today but uh, we have technologies to monitor cables and detect threats uh, and identify which vessels are are close by however most of the cable cuts are unintentional uh, coming from anchors from from boats or, or natural uh, causes so this may be not the silver bullet that we think uh, it is and uh, yes the, the repairs and the fleet is also something that uh, we need to keep in mind if if there is a, a cable cut uh, the first come first serve is, is the rule and if you have only a few boats then if many cables are cut at the same time, you might end up with weeks or months of delays in, in repairs. At the moment, we didn't have in Europe big outages, but it might come at some point if many cables or if a coordinated attack could, could happen at some point, especially for countries which rely on, on one or, 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 or barely zero cables for, for the moment. Talking about geography, um... The union is composed of, of landlocked countries, just like Hungary, for instance, uh, but also of islands, uh, Cyprus, Malta, or Ireland. And then there's also the EU's outermost regions that um, some most of the time are, are also islands across the world. Um, so looking at this um, geography, do you think that the commission actually... Uh, touch upon uh, an important point when saying that there is a need for joint union governance also to support smaller countries that maybe don't have the capacity to to um, secure and have the right resilience for submarine cables. Indeed. No, that's exactly the point of this recommendation and, and I completely agree with that. It's uh, 
we we don't have to think of submarine cables only for countries where there are uh, a landing station. I mean, you mentioned Hungary, but many other countries, they they depend also on these submarine cables because, as I was saying, 99% of the traffic, whether you're a landlocked country or not, is going through submarine cables because the data is going, for example, from Hungary to the, to the US. Absolutely. It has so to it's go a, through it's other interest countries. Of, uh, it's the interest of landlocked countries to also secure submarine cables. Indeed, of everyone. I mean, for whether you are an island or landlocked or you have landing stations, I think every country is, whether or not you, you want it, you, you are dependent on, on these cables because, uh, as I was saying again, I mean, whole, whole, the whole traffic is going through them. So you, you have to have a coordinated European approach, and I think that's what the recommendation is trying to do, which is a positive approach. Um, you mentioned also islands. Yes, it's true. Uh, I mean, Ireland, for example, is a big EU hub or the UK as well. To connect to the US. Um, last year, I think some Russian ships were spotted close to, to cables in Ireland, which could have uh, been, been a, a big problem to connect the EU to the US if these cables were cut. Um, but not only for Ireland, because then from Ireland, the, the, the connectivity goes to uh, France uh, and, and Spain or other countries or, or to the whole EU. So we rely on each other for, for this infrastructure, and, and that's why I think uh, we have to act. Uh, as, as much as possible uh, in a coordinated approach uh, at European level. Um, we, we also see that if you go to, to the cable map, you can you can find on, on, on the internet, you have the Suez Canal also, that is uh, a quite big hub, which if uh, an incident would happen there, it could also disrupt a lot the global traffic, which happened actually in, in the logistic uh, field with, with the boat, uh, which stopped in the Suez Canal and, and disrupted the logistical supply chain for, for months uh, in a global in global manner. So we could see similar uh, scenarios uh, for, for submarine cables. So yeah, I mean, once again, we need coordination on, on investment, cybersecurity, and, and all the and all dimension and what we mentioned before. And, and I think that's why this, this recommendation is a good step forward. At the moment, uh, it's nothing really new from from what we know uh, at the moment and and once again non-binding so looking forward to to see what the commission has in mind for for the future absolutely and with that we'll have to keep an eye on the implementation of our recommendation thank you very much louis aubry for being with us today that's all we got time for this week don't forget to sign up to our free Tech Brief newsletter to stay on top of tech news and digital policy developments in the EU and beyond. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Amazon Music. I am Theo van Hartmann and thanks for listening. <laughs>